Amen. Thank you, Samantha. I remember, I love that um, when it was sung at the awards, and you know, they asked the artist, "How can you sing this religious song?" She said, "It's not the first religious song sung at the Grammy Awards, and it won't be the last." And just grateful. I mean, we ought to be able to talk about what moves our hearts, and of course, as believers, that's Jesus. We are in Philippians. Um, no big surprise. You know, I, I do want to say, I was thinking as I came up here, you know, I always have a struggle when we have our fellowship time because there's something in me that always wants to hug everybody's neck, or shake everybody's hand, and I always think to myself, well, where should I start? So Because I, I never can get to everybody, and I always feel bad because I, I love to see all you guys. You know, sometimes I want to go that way, maybe next week go that way, maybe this way. And, but anyway, just want to say, if I don't see all of y'all, I, I want to. So appreciate you. All right, Philippians three seventeen through four one. Will you stand in God's honor as I read aloud? Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers... You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's pray. Master, thank you. It seems so inadequate, Father. But it's all I have, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your love that is beyond measure and it is father um, an ocean of love that the depths father endless we thank you for that father as we look at paul this morning as he shares his heart of joy with the church at philippi father it's tough times but he says, through those tough times, Jesus is there. And we look at that this morning, Father, as we look at your truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be evident, that we would continue to worship you as the service moves forward, Father. We Everything we do, it, it doesn't matter. It's all an offer of worship. Our songs, our gifts, our prayers, our time of fellowship with one another. Father, it, it's for you. May we always keep that in mind. Everything we do. Your word says so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father may that be our hearts God. Um, Thank you for this time. Lead us Father as we look at your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are earth grounded. But we are heaven bound strange mixture there Uh, we have to pay taxes we live our lives here but we know that this is not the full picture that beyond what we are able to grasp here is a home 
that awaits us. It is a place that we are made for for all of eternity. People say, how can you live there forever? How can we not? As, as God has placed that desire in our hearts to, to be with Him. It says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. When He raises us from spiritual death, when He resurrects us in spiritual life, He gives us a change of heart and a change of thoughts that are directed not at ourselves, but directed at the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it is far too easy to be so earth-grounded that we forget where we're headed. And, and so as Paul opens up the scripture here, as he talks to these other believers, he says, turn to Christ. Follow him with your lives. In Matthew 10, 28, he talks about coming persecution. And here's what he says to uh, the disciples, to all the disciples. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell then he comes let's look at our text here as he gives wisdom in well what does it mean to live as one who although earth grounded is heaven bound well what does that look like what does that mean and he he gives us clear instruction here in verse 17 he, he says first look around you for examples to follow that are worth following Verse 17, he says, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. He said, Look for those who leak Jesus, who have an obvious love for Christ. He said, Look at those people and, and desire to, to hang out with them, to learn from them, and to grow together with them on that journey that's headed in Christ. It's not enough just to hear a sermon. We're called to be a sermon. I love that uh, poem by Ad Edgar Guest called I'd Rather See a Sermon. It says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes of better people and more willing than the ear find counsels confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all preachers are the men who live their creeds for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you in the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding life you live to, to be an example not merely enough to tell it but to live it and Paul as he says his word he said you guys have been with me you've watched my love for Christ you know it's real you know it's not a game you, you know it, it, it's you know not some pretend I have a genuine love for Christ he said follow that and we're to do that in the body of Christ but now that doesn't mean secondly that you know, we idolize that person or we try to make that person more than they are because the truth of the matter is 
we're all just a step away from some catastrophe. It tells us in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says, Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore him gently, but watch yourself. Or you may be tempted. In other words, don't go in, you know, like, mm, you know, I've got it together, that person doesn't, and I'm going to show them the truth. But it's rather with a heart of brokenness. Say, man, are you walking with Christ? Can I, can I help you? What's going on? I'm afraid for you in, in what I see. What does it look like? What, what, what does an example of a life that leaks Jesus look like? Well, Paul shares in 2 Timothy. Turn with me there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Starting at verse 10. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching. Yeah, you've heard Paul preach. He says, my way of life. You've hung out with me. You, you know the words I use, how I treat people. You know my purpose is next. I love that the purpose is to know him and to make him known. And that really speaks of Paul. Faith it is to trust God even when you cannot trace him. There's sometimes God just seems so distant. And not speaking. He says, even then, cling to him. That's the, that's the picture here. It's a, it's a picture of faith to follow patience. Oh man, I'm convinced that is definitely of God. Because I am so impatient sometimes. Even when I look patient, you do not know what is going on inside. The impatience. He said, patience, the, the one who, who, who's just patient with me. I know I'm a mess. You know I'm a mess. Be patient. Be patient. That picture. And, and then he says, love. Of course, it says, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. Do we love one another? That example that's given. And then endurance. Just keep on keeping on. Just stay into the task. Not trying to sprint, but realizing you just keep going forward in the strength of God. And then persecutions and, and sufferings. He, he talks about those things that happen because of his faith in Christ. That we have a faith in Christ that's not invisible. And because it is visible, sometimes persecution arises. Not just believe in everything, but believe in him who is the one true thing. And as a result of that, persecution comes. And, and he tells us that, um, verse 12, he says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And, and then he goes on here, in verse 14, he says, But as you continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, man, don't get away from the Scripture. We, we live in a land where the Scripture doesn't seem to be as revered as it was and it continues to seem to deteriorate in our culture. But the, that doesn't in any way diminish the Scripture. That doesn't diminish the fact that this is God's words that are recorded and written for us to find strength and to find wisdom and, and to find hope. 
And then thirdly, back to Philippians. It's not just the example, and be careful that you, you know, are following the example they live instead of the person themselves. But thirdly, to be aware that around us there are enemies of the cross. But our call is not to destroy them with hate, but to love them. Look how Paul phrases it in verses 18 and 19 as he describes this calling. He says, For I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is, is, is not saying, Can you believe those people? Can you believe their behavior? Can, can you believe the way they just sleep around? Or can you believe all that perversion? Or can you believe the way they lie? Or the way they steal? Or, or, or can, you, can you believe that? Man, those people aren't worth anything. They're just the lowest of the low. They're scum. That, that's not Paul's heart here. Paul says, you know, I weep for these people. You know, the term we use, high, uh, they're lost. You know, as they say, lost is a ball in high weeds. I mean, they, they just lost. They can't see. They're blind. You know, the hymn, I was blind, but now I see. He's broken over it. And in this section of Scripture is probably as clear a description of a lost person as is found anywhere in the Scriptures. Now, let's look at it just a bit by bit. He says here in the text, first, their destiny is... Destruction. In other words, they are headed toward destruction. They are headed to hell. Destruction is where the beauty of God is absent. It's not some little guy that runs around with a pitchfork who's red and has little horns and a cape. It's, it's not some joke. It's not like, yeah, I'm going to go to hell and there's going to be a big party. It's, it's not like that. It's a place of destruction. And the, and the scriptures talk about it. In Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, in verse 41, we, we learn a very important truth here because people say, well, you know, why would God create hell to send people to? What kind of loving God would, would do that? Well, in 25 verse 41, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't originally prepared for people. It was prepared for those rebellious, angelic beings. You know, the, the devil got that point and he said, Well, I'm as good as God. I'm going to knock him out of the way and take the throne of all glory because I'm a wonderful. And he and, and a third of the angels were cast out of the heavenlies. And, and so this place was created for them. But then when mankind in sin and rebellion decided I'm not going to listen to God, I'm going to continue to go my way and I'm not going to receive... His sacrifice, His gift, His heart. That's the destination. Their destination's destruction. Turn me to Revelation chapter 20 as it describes this truth. Uh, 
verses 11. Starting at verse 11, he says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Their destiny is destruction because they've rejected Christ. They've they've turned from Christ. They're headed that direction. It's not that I want to see them head that direction. Paul said it's something to cry about, something to weep about, something to be broken about. But there's no other way to heaven except through him. No other way. And, and, and then third, what you notice, it says their God is their stomach. He's talking about far more than overeating. I'll never forget years ago listening to Chuck Swindoll preach on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where it says in there, Paul said, I buffet my body. Or in other translation, it talks about, you know, I discipline my body. He says, I buffet my body. Well, this is not talking about buffet the body and, you know, overeating and overindulging. As it says, those who indulge bulge. He's not just talking about that, but he's talking about any time that physical cravings and desire control us. Or they become our ultimate passion. They become that ultimate pursuit. And that's what's happening among, uh, among those without Christ. He basically says that it's their appetites that control them. They become slaves to their sin. And as we look around us, we see people who are trapped. And people who are broken and who are crushed. And they need to be set free. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they don't know the truth. And then he says their glory is in their shame. Their glory is in their shame. Something they should be broken at. Something they should blush over, they brag about. Let me tell you about my sin. Let me tell you what I did last night. Turn me to Jeremiah chapter 6. There's a description in here. And guys, this is not talking about those who are not part of God's people. What frightens me is this is really talking about God's people. Who have come to a point where... They've just ignored God and they have fallen so far from God that they're not even ashamed of it anymore. Starting at verse 13 of Jeremiah 6, it says, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Just a scrape. Peace, peace, they say, when there's no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. They don't even blush anymore. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. And 
then then he gives this command. He says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk. He's saying, if if you've lost your way, if you're not looking to Christ, if nothing makes you blush anymore, and now you're living in in sin day after day, and and, and it it no longer bothers you. If you're in that place, he says, you need to return to where you once came. You need to come back to the cross. You need to be reacquainted with your condition that you need Christ, that sin controls you and not the Spirit of God. That's where he is as Jeremiah preaches to the people, and it's still true today. As he talks to these people who are lost, God forbid when it's even within the church and the body of Christ. As he looks at them, he says they're God's their stomach. They're controlled by their appetites. They don't even blush anymore when they look at sin, when they live in sin, and when they follow sin. God forbid that you look just like that. There's nothing to separate you. Nothing at all. To differentiate you from them and from the way they look. Back to Philippians chapter 3. In this description, he says, their mind is on earthly things. Man, all they think about is the moment they're living in. The pleasure they can derive right now. No thought of future consequences that result of those choices. No thought of any of that. He says, guys, weep over that condition because just to ignore God's presence doesn't make God disappear or go away. There is a time where we'll pay for our actions. It says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, you know, you're not going to fool God. You reap what you sow. If if you sow to please that sinful nature, you're going to reap destruction. But if you sow to please the Spirit, God's Spirit, you reap eternal life. And, and, and so, as he speaks here, he says, this is a description of the lost people. Don't look like that. Don't act like that. Don't speak like that. You know, just like when Lazarus, when, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, come from the grave. I don't think Lazarus spent the rest of his days before he went to heaven with those grave clothes on. He took those old smelly grave clothes off and he changed clothes. He tells us to do that. Put on Christ. Don't. Walk in the flesh. Don't live as if Christ isn't in your life. So, fourth, live heavenly lives though you're still here. May others see Christ in you. That this is not all there is. That our citizenship is in heaven. Notice uh, verse 20 as he speaks that. He, he says, our citizenship's in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we need, we need a, Jesus is coming back. He's saying, live in that anticipation of, of being in His presence. Whether He comes or whether we go to meet Him, we will be with Christ. And, and He says, eagerly live in that kind of passion. And as the word politics, it's a unique word. It says, that, you, know, you know, I'm a foreigner here. This is not my final home. This is not my land. This is not the place from where I intend to be and, and, and to live with that passion. You know, Christians are, I mean, let's face it, from the world's perspective, we're kooky. Matter of fact, A.W. Tozer, 
years ago wrote these words. He said, a real Christian's an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he's never seen. Talks familiarly, uh, familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. Expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Empties himself in order to be full. Admits he's wrong so he can be declared right. Goes down in order to get up. Is strongest when he's weakest. Richest when he's poorest. Happiest when he feels the worst. Dies so he can live. Forsakes in order to have. Gives away so he can keep. Sees the invisible. Hears the inaudible. Knows that which passes knowledge. The man who has met God is not looking for anything. He's found it. He is not searching for light, for upon him the lights already shine. His certainty may seem bigoted, but his assurance is that of us who knows by experience his religion's not hearsay. He's not a copy, not a facsimile. He is an original from the hand of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are, guys. And that's how we're to live. And one last one here. He tells us in chapter 4, verse 1, we're to stand firm, not just stand still and collect dust, but to stand firm in Christ, who's our passion. You know, I love as you look at the section of Scripture, verse 21, he tells us we're, we're given a power and that God enables us through His Spirit, His power to bring everything under His control and to transform our lowly bodies. You know, what awaits us is eternity where no more struggle and none of this aches and pains and all of that will be transformed. But for now, he calls us, we're, we're, to, we're to love God and love each other. Um, and to stand firm in that love. Not to just stand and collect dust still, but to live with that passion that others may see and join us. That, that, that's the call. I love Junior Hill, uh, the evangelist. You know, he struggled with weight his whole life. And somebody said, well, wh- what are you going to put on your tombstone? He said, thin at last. And the idea of whatever our malady is or whatever we struggle with, it's not going to be a struggle anymore. But until that time, we need to live with that hope that that is what we anticipate, what we expect, guys. Um, I close uh, with a true story of an evangelist called Jacob who worked in Serbia. He traveled to the different villages. And he had a difficult time because of the earlier corruption of the church. Christian leaders and Christian priests had been part of the corruption taking money and even turning over um, people to die who really followed Christ. And as a result of that, it it was very difficult because people saw all the pomp imagery as the priests and the religious leaders would wear these flowing gowns and these ornate crosses. and, And, you know, you could tell who they were by looking at their garb, but it didn't match up with their life. And so he had, Jacob had a difficult time in sharing and he tells a story of going into one village where he talked to a man named Simmerman and he tried to talk to him about Christ. And he said, I don't want to hear it because I saw them dressed 
Those hypocrites, I saw them dressed in those robes and in those coats. And here you come to me talking about Christ. And I saw those wearing the coat of Christ. I don't have anything to do with it. I even had a nephew that was executed because of people like you. I don't want to hear anything about it. Jacob just continued to come and and to try to build a relationship with this man and, and to talk with him. And he was closed for so long. Finally, Jacob said to him, he said, uh, Zimmerman, uh, let's just imagine that somebody stole your coat and they robbed a bank. And as the one was running away, all they could really see was your coat. They, could, they didn't really see the face of the criminal. And they said, they came to your house and they arrested you and said, you robbed the bank. And you said, no, I didn't. They said, yes, you did. I saw your coat. It was you. And Zimmerman said, well, I'd tell them that was not me. That was just my coat. He said, well, I'm not those people of corruption. They were just wearing the coat. He didn't like the example, so he he kicked him out of the house and said, I don't want to hear that. Jacob just kind of kept coming back. And one day he said to him, man, you are so persistent. He said, okay, what do I need to do to become a Christian? And so he knelt right there. He prayed, opened up his heart to receive Christ. And then tears began to flow down Zimmerman's face. And he looked up at Jacob, the evangelist, and he said, you wear his coat well. How do you wear his coat? What kind of example are you? I mean, only you and God know that. Do people see Christ in you? Paul says, be that type of person. You you see, it's not about changing the world. It's about changing me. And as God changes me and as God changes you, He begins to change our communities and He changes our world. But it doesn't start out there. It starts in here. And and that's the call and that's the the message that he gives. He says, follow this example. You know, the kind of guy I used to be, Paul says. You've heard stories. Man, I was religiously, had it together. But then I came and I attacked other Christians. I put them in jail. I I was even part of executions and and murders. But God got a hold of me. He met me on the Damascus Road and he changed me. I was blind, but now I see. And and boy, that is so needed, guys. Today, as as God takes us through our struggles, as God takes us through our pains, as God continues to accompany us through the difficulties, it's a witness. It's it's the power of God at, at work. It speaks volumes that we're able to still look up instead of being dismayed. That, that, that's a call. And, and that's in Christ. Christ alone. Let's pray. Father... Uh, You know us, God. And the truth of the matter is, without Jesus, there is no hope. Our destiny without Christ is destruction. And Father, to live here without you is just about following desires that never quench what we really need, what we really want. It's more than what's found, Father, just around us. What we need is above us in you. In Christ. And Father, what others need to see, what others need to experience, is you alive through your people. 
And, and Father, maybe someone is here who's never trusted you for the first time. Your word says that at the moment we trust you, we are born from above, born anew, made a new creation. I pray, Father, if someone is here and has never taken the time to just, Father, just come before you and be honest and say, I need to be forgiven, I need a new start, and I want Jesus to enter my life and make me new. Father, may that happen right now, this moment. For others, Father, who have trusted you, but for whatever reason, have headed down a wrong road. And Father, they've forgotten how to blush. And they've just continued down this road. Father, may that change now, God. You know where we are, each of us. So why pretend? God, help us just to be honest. To know that you're the God who watches us and sees us as we are. And, Father, may we just simply turn to you, whatever that may mean. Father, that's when your gospel goes out, is when you truly come in. Transform us, God. So that's the call, Father, this invitation with an altar that's open. Maybe we need to come to pray. Maybe we, Father, need to come to confess before you, and maybe even your people, that I I want Jesus to go out, and I've been clogging that. Father, do your work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.